Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name's Harold Nickel. This week on the podcast, we will talk about how and when to scale from Agile to the Scaled Agile Framework, or as it's so well known as SAFE, S-A-F-E. And Ren, you've told us before about how in some big organizations, the first thing they do when considering a switch to Agile is to try out a single team and then add a few more. But at some point, they will decide to convert the whole organization to Agile. In your experience, how do you know the time is right for a complete changeover? You're right. Some uh, organizations do start with one or two scrum teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about one client I had who did um, individual scrum teams for about three years mm-hmm. before they decided to scale. And scaling for most organizations, so that we mean going up to a program and a uh, enterprise level with your agile practices, mm-hmm. doesn't always mean the entire organization because not everything needs to be agile. Um, but if you're going to scale, you need every part of the organization to support your scaled agile, which we have mm-hmm. talked about. Okay. Legal needs to change their pra- how they work with the Scrum teams. HR, mm-hmm. you know, communications, everybody in the infrastructure, everybody needs to kind of change how they work a little bit. And that's what we mean by scaling as well. It's not just having a team of Scrum teams working out a product. Okay. Your entire organization needs to make changes and adjustments to support the success of that team of scrum teams. In SAFE, we call that team of scrum teams an agile release train. Sometimes you'll just hear it called a train because I think a lot of us are getting tired of saying agile release train or art. And art puts other pictures of people's heads. They don't think of an agile scrum team, right? Um, Or, sorry, agile release train. So... Um, I'll call it an art or a train, but I'm hearing train a lot more. Um, But what is the right time? It's really when an organization recognizes that to get the business value they really need or they really Mm -hmm. want, so time to market, um, revenue, or I should say profitability improvements, um, market share improvements in quality, those require more than what a single scrum team or a group of individual disconnected scrum teams can deliver. Okay. That's when you go, okay, I need to scale up. Okay. So that all makes good sense. And I'm, but I'm wondering, too, that there, there must be an order to this or a sequence of events that you have to follow. Can you tell us what they are? How an organization goes about doing it really depends. Okay. So the out-of-the-box safe implementation is we do an entire value stream at once, okay. enterprise down. Okay. Um, sometimes it's called the Big Bang. You know, there, there's a couple <laughs> of different names out there for it. But we go from the executives all the way through the organization um, of a single product we call it a value stream, but often think it's easier to think of it as a product or service. Okay. Whatever your company does. So think of it like a, a credit card company. Let's pick on them. Okay. Uh, it would be their uh, entire, uh, like a student card. 
that would be a product. Okay. That could be a great value stream as an example, okay. where their government card would be a different value stream. Okay. Um, and we would scale, the, we would do safe for the entire thing. So we would create um, the uh, uh, portfolio um, roadmap and backlog. We'd have the program backlog. We'd put together the scrum teams. Um, and there are scrum backlogs. We'd have our RTEs and our product owners and our product managers, and we get everybody trained and do big room planning and get everybody going, right? And I know mm -hmm. I left people out, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's one way. Then as you started out in the first question, you kind of described the incremental, which is very mm -hmm. common. Organizations start out with one or two scrum teams, then they go to a few more scrum teams, and then they go to a few – Scrum teams are all individually and they're not planning together, almost never on the same cadence. Mm -hmm. um, and then they go, hey, we really need to plan this together, so let's do a program. And they'll create one agile release train. Okay. And then they're like, oh, this is working well. Let's do another one and do another one. And that will build up to their portfolio level and they do it that way. So that's the bottoms up. Right. Okay, bottoms up. Um, and then some will do kind of um, a pilot and learn or the VIP approach or MVP approach, the minimum viable program. So you take one thin slice of your organization top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> you safe the whole thing. That includes HR, legal, clients, everybody at the very beginning. Okay. And But just one thin slice the absolute minimum that you can do and okay. learn from and what, and then build incrementally across that way. What these do is they will uncover challenges in your organization and we'll just do it in very different ways. Okay. And so the big bang will actually uncover lots of big problems that you have to solve right now. Okay. It's so, often very overwhelming because organizations will find huge gaps in their infrastructure, in their architecture, compliance, in their governance. Those are the big four that they're usually going to find right away when you do the big top-down, here's your safe implementation. Mm -hmm. When you do the bottoms-up, you actually take a very long time to uncover any of those. <laughs> okay, right. And usually your scrum teams have been feeling the pain for a while before it gets surfaced because you're not scaled so you don't have that communication up to the people who can make these changes because mm -hmm. there's no RTE to talk to. And the RTE doesn't have anybody to go an architect to say, hey, you know, we've got a huge infrastructure problem here, right? So it right. takes a very long – and I've seen this in so many organizations that it literally took years – for executives to find out that, in, you know, in one case, that the test environments were failing the scrum teams almost daily. Oh, wow. Right? Years? Years. Very wow. expensive, long runway to find out bad stuff. The MVP, you actually get, um, you, you're kind of doing the middle ground. You're mm. learning things quickly, but you're doing it at a size in which the organization can usually solve those problems quickly. So you get the so difference? It's 
Yeah, it's not as overwhelming if you do it this way. And, and expensive, exactly. Yeah. So you can go and you can experiment more because the impact is lessened. Right. So you can say, okay, I'm going to do this one small thin slice, and we're going to change how we're deploying new servers. But there's okay. only this one small part of the company that's impacted, not the entire company. Mm. Or we have to change this compliance, how we're doing this compliance. It's only this one thin slice of the company that's impacted, not the entire company. And so if that experiment doesn't work, you've only got one small slice of the company that's negatively impacted, not the entire, you know, company. Right. So it, it kind of lessens your risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why so many companies like the Big Bang is that um, they do get the defined value much sooner. So you get your value quicker, Big Bang. The slowest is the, t- the bottoms up. Mm-hmm. Um, the highest risk is the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. The lowest risk, risk is the bottoms up. So the MVP is like right in the middle. Yeah, uh, and... There's. It sounds like there's several ways to go about it, but is there one that's better than the other? Is there one true way to to make this work? Like, is there a a map or a recipe? <laughs> I'm a. I'm not a purist, so I'm gonna say no. Um, purists will tell you yes, and it's okay. the Big Bang. All right. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But my experience has said, no, there really isn't a, a one-size-fits-all for a safe implementation. Yeah, that's kind of what I what I thought. But I, if there was one, if there was, you know, um, uh, the key to uh, doing it, I would have been remiss in, in not asking. But Right, and that's also why, regardless of what, one of the agiles you go through, right? Because remember, agile's a big umbrella. There's stuff underneath it. If you're going Scrum, Alliance Scrum, get an outside consultant to help you with it. If you're going safe, get an outside consultant to help you with it. If you're going Kanban, same thing in XP. Um, It doesn't matter. These are things, you know, very old saying, of all of us Agile people, Agile is simple, but it's not easy. And you will save yourself a lot of money, a lot of money, a lot of pain, and a lot of disruption by bringing in experts who are going to teach you how to do this instead of going to the websites and trying to figure it out yourself. That's so true. It's always such a good idea to to have a good teacher um, in a situation like that. Now, Mm -hmm. I... Further, I, I've read that it was important to have an already an established business model in place with at least a few devoted customers before considering a scale-up. And the phrase that I read is, nail it before you scale it. What do you think about that? That has been um, the thought process for a very long time, which is why that bottoms-up incremental is so common and so Mm. popular. I think it's a little tough to say because I've been in both situations and one of the um, easiest 
safe implementations I've done was with a startup. Okay. And they had a great idea, and they had um, and a good investor and had absolutely no customers. Uh. <laughs> Otherwise, but you it was know perfect. what? <laughs> we did like a beautiful safe implementation and got customer feedback within, um, I think it was three sprints. After three spent sprints, we were already getting customer feedback, um, and it was incredibly successful. So, you know, mm-hmm. go, I should say market. So we went out, prospective customers, let's get their feedback very right. quickly. And we had multiple scrum teams working in this very complicated product. And if we mm-hmm. hadn't scaled right away, those scrum teams wouldn't have had a way of communicating and collaborating with each other. Pretty good way to qualify new customers too, right? It was, yeah, and, and they're, very, they're very successful. Um, company, their products have done very well, and actually, they just sold themselves <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> to a much bigger company. Um, so you know, very well. Um, I, you know, I really haven't seen a situation where I would say that companies needed to nail Scrum before they scaled to Safe. Okay. Okay. Well, that's there's so that... much overlap. I mean, I mean, on a team level, safe is Scrum. Okay. Um, and adding the scaling actually makes those Scrum teams more successful. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, that's good to know. So I want to kind of throw you though a curveball. Um, because I wondered if it was possible to beta test an entire organization-wide scale-up. Mm-hmm. Is well, it we possible? Yeah, and that's basically what the thought process is behind the MVP model of implementation. Okay. Is you do take that thin slice of the entire organization and you apply SAFE just to that thin slice. Okay. And we do that for what I think you're thinking, your thought process behind the beta test is because it's going to uncover um, challenges or gaps in other parts of the organization like, say, legal or HR mm-hmm. or compliance or infrastructure, right? But it's going to do it in a way that's easily managed. Okay. It also, you can do it and say, is this going to work for us? Without a huge investment of going enterprise wide, mm-hmm. and without the long time frame of the nail it before you scale it perspective. That's that's good to know. Right? Because yeah, because I it took me a while to kind of connect the dots between the thin slice and the whole organization, but you you explained explained it really well. I just I just wonder. But, but along, along the same lines, does, does productivity get interrupt, interrupted when when a move to, a scale, move to up, scale up to say to say is occurring, occurring? In the very short term, because there's training and things that have to happen, just like with any um, organizational change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it, you know, fairly quickly, organizations see um, spikes in productivity as well as quality. Um, so you start to see that usually within three or four sprints. Okay. 
Um, so they get caught up usually in sprint one and two. Sometimes they'll, you know, need a little bit of three. Um, but by three and four, um, you know, you, you've got a, you've got, they're, they're increasing their productivity and they're starting to get to that nice steady velocity that we look for. Yeah, that's good to know. <clears throat> but you definitely start to see improvements in quality and communication um, fairly quickly as well. Yeah, it's um, just something that I always, you know, wonder about when there's changes proposed for organizations. And along those lines, talk to us a little bit about organizational communications during um, a scale up to safe and some of the do's and do not do's of that process. Oh, change communications. It's the exact, exact same. You mm -hmm. want to do the same things. You want to bring in someone or have someone who's good at change communications, manage your communications. Mm -hmm. You want to communicate frequently. You want to communicate in different methods. Mm -hmm. um, you want to emphasize um, push communications and de-emphasize pull. Okay. Um, so for people who are on communications, you will send an email, not make people go to a website and find out. Right. Right? right yeah. Because if you're just posting something on the company's um, internet, intranet, excuse me, mm -hmm. um, that assumes that employees know it's there. Well, that's right. And what we find is less than 10% of the company will ever read it. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly wasteful. The other thing and why it's important in any change to use a change communication person or somebody who knows how to do this is that they will see the gaps in the communication. And what happens with human beings mm -hmm. is anytime there's a blank, anytime there's a gap, they will fill it with the worst possible scenario. Well, isn't that the truth? So you know this because mm -hmm. you, know, you do a lot of PR and change communications yourself, mm -hmm. so you can add to this that um, that's, what, that's what communications people are really good at is finding those change gaps, those mm -hmm. communication gaps, excuse me, and getting them filled. No, you're right. You're so right. It's, and nature hates a vacuum. And as you've said, that um, people's imaginations run away with them and they will always go to the worst possible outcome every time. Every time. And so one of the things that happens, and I, and I, I work with my clients, and I came in, you know this from a personal conversation, mm -hmm. came in to work with a client that was already doing a safe implementation, not going well mm -hmm. at all. And they couldn't figure out why, because they had done everything according to the launch pack, except right. they hadn't done any of the change communication. Yeah, and the, the model you just, I'm sorry, go ahead. So people were freaking out and leaving the company and disjointed and they were undermining the program, sabotaging it, mm -hmm. because they thought they were going to be out of a job if this was successful. Oh, man. And, you know, so I'm, I'm there like on day two and I'm like, well, where's your communication plan and what do you mean? Yeah. Yeah, you have to do that. That's yeah. amazing. You have to do that, and you need to do it ahead of any of the behaviors. Exactly. It needs to be out there at least a month, I would tell them, before you start scheduling people for training. And you described the push communications, and that's, <clears throat> you know, just to sort of pile on, that 
just posting it on a website, that's a very passive approach. And, um, you know, you said 10%. Um, I'm surprised it's that low, but, um, I was going to say, I don't, I personally, I suspect it's lower. Yeah. Not very many people go to the company's internet site every day. Oh, believe. Yeah. I used to run a, an intranet site for, a, for one of my employers and yeah, it's, it's, uh, challenging. I guess though, to kind of shift gears a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've worked at places where the people that we work for or the customer just wasn't sure about really what it was that they ultimately wanted. And I know that in the advertising and the public relations business, when somebody says to me, just be creative, it generally means that they've got no idea about what they really want. So how would a situation like this be better or be have a better outcome in a scaled organization? Scaled Agile organization? Yes, thank you. Um, scaled Agile organization. If they've made the mind shift um, and they're really thinking in an Agile way, mm -hmm. um, then this is what we call experiment and learn. Mm -hmm. So the Scrum team or Scrum teams would be given permission to experiment and then show it to whoever saying be just be creative and say is this what you mean and what do you like and what don't you like and get that feedback right and in by the way we always have that there's i've never been in a situation where we knew a hundred percent what the customer's needs and expectations were okay doesn't happen doesn't exist and especially since every customer is a little different. Yes. You're never going to know, and you're never going to nail it. And this is one of the things that's kind of destructive. And I pause because I wasn't sure if I wanted to use such a strong word, but I'm going to go with it. Okay. Destructive of some traditional ways of working mm -hmm. is that we expect people to mind read, we expect people to know, and we punish them when they experiment mm -hmm. and don't nail it. And what that does is it kills creativity, kills innovation, it kills initiative. Oh, sure. And so one of the things I work on with leaders, and this is why sometimes scaling agile really is important because you've got to change the behavior of the executives. If the executives really want to have a truly agile organization, they need to think differently. They need to behave differently, right? We right. talked about that. We have one of the executives on in Agile. Um, this is why. Mm -hmm. They need to change the mindset of the entire culture of the company that says experiments are rewarded. And you're not wrong. It's never wrong if we learn something from it. Boy, that's that's so well said. And, um, Lordy, I wished I had known this uh 30 years ago, <laughs> but I know now, so um, I'll be taking this knowing with me as we, when we leave here today. <laughs> I guess, too, and you touched on this a little bit um, when you talked about identifying what they liked, but, you know, there's also situations where, you know, when nobody could declare or articulate what they wanted, they were really good at, at pointing out what was wrong. 
um, mm-hmm. but not really provide much other direction. So the same question as before, how would a scaled agile organization handle situations like this? And again, it's, um, first of all, you get that cultural mindset and I've worked with a client on this and when they got there, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And they, and people are so much happier when there's no such thing as wrong, as Mm -hmm. long as you learn from it. The other thing is if you're working with a customer or product owner, because sometimes this happens with product owners Mm -hmm. and they drive their scrum teams crazy. They've had a bunch of scrum people who are like, oh, thank you, Rin. Uh, or the scrum, the product <laughs> owner isn't able to articulate exactly what they want. Right. I will coach the teams and the PO to, okay, you can tell us what you didn't like and mm-hmm. you can't articulate what you liked. Okay, let's stand up at a whiteboard and you help us design it. You become part of the design and the creative process. Yes. Because that will, the physical activity, I, and I literally do this. I walk over and I put the marker in the hand of the PO mm-hmm. and I make them stand up at the whiteboard and start drawing. Boy. There's something about that physical activity, by the way, and this is science. I'm throwing science at you for the oh, first good. time yes. podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the first what time. What that does. This is why I do it, mm-hmm. because what it does is it changes the side of the brain the person is using. Okay. Um, and they go from um, left brain to right brain. So okay. they go from their analytical to their creative. Oh. And just that physical shift, and that's one of the reasons why in Agile we emphasize co-location, co-design, because it gets people using both sides of the brain at the same time. Hmm. That's where, by the way, that's the physical biological definition of genius is when you use both sides of your brain for problem solving. Every single person has a physical capability of being a genius. Mm-hmm. What you have to do, and it's simple, is get physically moving while you're working with other people to discuss and solve the problem. And you will all, everybody in the room who participates becomes a genius. But you have to be focused on the problem. You have to be, that's why we stand up so often in Agile. Yes. Because that's just standing up shifts the brain. Yep. That's why we move around. That's why we have so many games and activities in Agile, because it shifts the brain. It gets using both sides of the brain at the same time, and it helps every single person become a genius. It's the easiest thing in the world to be a genius. That's, that's <laughs> really incredible. Not, I, you know, everybody thinks of this as lofty, Einstein-y thing. It's not. Mm-hmm. Being a genius just means you use both sides of your brain, at the same time, it solves a problem, and it's ridiculously easy to do. And I coach teams all the time, especially when your customer or your PO is <laughs> being mm-hmm. the challenge. Give them the marker. Get them to go up to in a nice, safe way. Let's do this together. Mm-hmm. Come on. Let's do this together. Rah, rah. Mm-hmm. Get them up there. Get them writing. The creative juices will start flowing. You'll have a completely different conversation. That's um, so impactful, and I'm sitting here imagining all of the different situations where something like that would work, whether it's the boardroom or the classroom or 
the conference room. That's exactly, and you can do it virtually. Mm-hmm. But the physical activity is the most powerful. Man, that just you know, Ren, just hearing that and learning that from you—that's worth the price of admission this morning. Um, <laughs> brilliant, and you know, with the time that we have left, can you tell us at what point in a scale-up to an agile organization? Is it the right time to declare victory, if ever? I think there are points in which an organization could definitely declare victories. So one of the things I work with my clients on when they're scaling is let's have a roadmap for the transformation. Okay. And we're going to at least celebrate every single accomplishment on that roadmap. Okay. Do we ever say we're done? No, because roadmaps are living things. When are we done um, with our roadmap when we right. close the company. Yeah. yeah <laughs> when, time. when it's sold right. out of business, yeah. Right. And, and I think where people get challenged with, you know, saying, yay, we scaled, is there's a sense then then you stop your continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. In Agile, we never stop continuous improvement, right? Right. That's right. Um, until we're no longer working on that product or that company is closed, right? We are always, but as individuals, we're still continuously improving. Um, and I think that's where sometimes people have uh, feel challenged to declare victory. And I, this is one of the things um, I, I said that, and I had a couple of clients pop into my head right away. Mm-hmm. They had such a hard time celebrating success. Yes. And that's one of the things that SAFE and Scrum, the Scrum Alliance, really try and teach us is how important it is to celebrate success. Mm-hmm. Every success. Yes. And that's why when we do retrospectives and we do inspect and adapt, we're not just looking at what we did wrong, and we hate that word wrong, mm-hmm. but we're looking at what we did right. Because I always tell people it's cheaper and easier to keep doing something right Mm-hmm. Then to screw it up and fix it later. Yes, that's right. And so let's celebrate our successes. Yep. Let's make sure as an organization, as an enterprise, that when we meet those transformational milestones on our roadmap, we celebrate them as an entire organization, as an entire enterprise. Yeah. And we declare victory at each and every one of those steps because we did achieve them. And so there's not just a time, but there are lots of times to declare victory. Exactly. And if you've got a strong organization at a minimum, you're doing that at the end of every sprint. At the end of every sprint. So that's that's a lot. That's a lot. You should be, yeah. So you think of the scaled, and we haven't talked about this a little bit, but if you know Scrum, Mm -hmm. you know we do a sprint review and demo. Mm Mm-hmm. This is what, how we did against our sprint plan, and here's a physical demonstration of the work we did. In scaled Agile framework, we do a system demo, which is this is what the entire train did. Mm-hmm. This is how we performed against our plan. Here's the physical demonstration of what we accomplished together. And I it can tell you just how meaningful it is to celebrate your system demo mm-hmm. for an organization and to have the stakeholders come in and see what that train did. Um, 
we've, I've talked about this before, record them. Share them with the executives. They're phenomenal to share with customers and clients and strategic partners. Yes. Especially when you're delivering them every two or three weeks like clockwork. Here's the new one, here's the new one, here's the new one. They really blow people's minds. They really impress them. And your train should be celebrating every single system. I have one client. Um, I love them. Mm -hmm. uh, Danish company. And they have a happy hour. They end the day early on mm -hmm. system demo day. And the rest of the day is happy hour. Or they'll go bowling. Or, they, you know, they celebrate the train success. Yeah. And they, <laughs> this is a secret. <laughs> Don't do this on purpose. But okay. some of their people know they get paid a little less than they would if they went to a competitor. They don't care. I'll be. They have reasonable, manageable work hours. They have great scrum teams that they're on. They have. They love the environment. They love the culture. The executives get it, you know, and mm -hmm. and really value their work. The executives, the CEO, would show up to system demos. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. myself or one of the RTEs would say. Hey Mike, we definitely want you should definitely be to this one if you can. Mm -hmm. If you can't watch the recording, he would send emails to the uh, the train oh, and man. comment on it if he couldn't make it. People loved it. Absolutely, they love working there. Like, and, and I miss them still to this day. They were so much fun to work with, mm -hmm. um, and it was such a fun wonderful transition um you know with them because they and they hated celebrating their successes when i started there now they're addicted well <laughs> heck yeah uh, it, it, it it's you know maybe hate is too strong of a word but you know it yes, took some time to adjust and um well they were in that lean they had gone lean first mm-hmm and the challenge with lean from a cultural perspective is it really does emphasize what you did wrong and have to do better. Mm -hmm. Way more than what you did right. And there isn't a sense of that we have from more traditional agile like Scrum where this is about learning and being creative and being innovative. Mm -hmm. Right? Lean is about the shortest distance between two points. Mm -hmm. That's right very different mentality and so they had culturally gotten into this um, routine where they were beating the crap out of themselves all the time yeah because they were never perfect well of course you're not perfection's not an option that's right so stop it you know and 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 I wouldn't even have to say it after a point I would just give people a look and they go I know Rin perfection's not an option right. no it's not you know, and I had one guy who threatened to tattoo it on himself because he's like, I keep, you know, you have to tell me that all the time. Perfection's not an option. So stop. Stop being yourself up because you're not perfect. Well, a tattoo seems extreme, but, you know, hey, whatever works, right? <laughs> he had a lot of other tattoos, believe me. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it's just, it was hard for people after years of, um, that lean thinking to make the shift to 
Oh, no. Actually, we're in a knowledge in- industry. We're in a highly evolving, highly changeable, highly innovative in- industry. So we have to be creative. We have to experiment. We have to screw up because mm-hmm. there's no other way to learn than to fail. Well, that's exactly right. And every... So we Sorry, actually had... Awards. I have to share this with you. Sorry okay. But we had an award every sprint for the biggest failure. Huh. That was one of the other things. I stole that from another consultant. That wasn't my idea. But I stole, stole another leveraged. It's, it's fine. Borrowed. And it was a huge point of pride in each train mm. who had the statue. Because that meant you took the biggest risk and you learned the most. In that sprint, and so it was a huge point of pride. And now, in I'm, you know, I can't. I wish I could tell you who they were. You guys would be amazed because they've really done phenomenal work um, in the last uh, three years. And so, um, it's been really just this huge cultural shift that Safe helped them with, and really become just really experiment. Mm-hmm. And, and innovate and more responsive to their customers. Well, you know, all of the things that you described with respect to um, organizational communications and the celebrations and the people choosing to stay in places and turn down money, that really teaches, at least it teaches me a lot that, you know, there's just so much more to the world of work and success than. Um, money. I mean, everybody likes money and everybody likes to get paid and most of us <laughs> need to get paid. But um, the the idea that Agile and SAFE can contribute to a better workplace, along with learning that um, stand up and be a genius, that's, uh, that's a lot of the... <laughs> well, it's doing the, the physical activity with the mental activity, so you using both sides of your brain at the same time. Well, and that, and I appreciated that. And, you know, what you said about, you know, managing people who were um, lacking in in resolve or irresolute, if that's even a word, um, (laughs) would would that they would all talk to you and and adopt these kind of practices. And I guess that's going to do it for another week here on the Guardian podcast. For those of you who are listening on iTunes or one of the other many MP3 platforms where the program exists. You can be in touch with Ren and read all about the latest from the world of Agile and SAFE on our website at www.renmelberg.com or you can also follow her on Twitter. I should have said and follow her on Twitter. Be sure to come back next week for another edition of the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.